0: Released on Sunday, September 7th, 2014, This Agile Life, Episode 61, I'm Still Being a Jerk. Our sponsor tonight is Codeship. Codeship is continuous delivery made simple.
1: Try Codeship for free.
2: Setup only takes three minutes at Codeship.io.
1: The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This
0: Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Craig Buchack. Hello, everybody. Hi, Craig. Welcome back to the program. Thanks. I missed you guys. We missed you. Also joining us tonight, Jason Tice, the Agile Factor.
1: Good evening, John. How are we doing tonight?
0: Doing great. Looking forward to a rousing and ruckus conversation with Actually, everyone.
1: Actually, rousing, ruckus, and most importantly, it will be respectful at all times.
0: Very good alliteration. Finally joining us over there in the uh, center square, Amos King.
2: I'm not the center square on my computer.
0: I know. I just wanted to call you the center square, though.
2: Oh, circle gets a square. Isn't that where the most famous person went? That's what I think.
3: No, that's where the joker is.
2: Oh, <laughs> the jerk.
0: <laughs> that's where they put the bully.
2: Uh, well, that, that fits. It does
0: tonight because we're going to talk a little bit about bullying in the workplace. And Jason's going to tell us a story. But before you do, Jason, how does this tie into Agile?
1: Well, so we kind of teased this on our last episode where we talked about retro retrospectives and really what to do. And one of the things that we agreed to put in our parking lot was specifically saying, well, what happens when you have that person in your retrospective that kind of disqualifies themselves from the process? So they say, you know what, the retro or the action that comes out of the retro, it's not relevant for me. And we, we kind of alluded to that was like they kind of play the jerk card and they say, you know what? I'm a member of the team, but at the same time, I'm not a member of the team, which I think all of us have experienced at various points in our careers working with agile teams. And so the idea here was to let's pull that out of the parking lot and and discuss that because I think that's a real life problem for a lot of people. Does that make sense, John?
0: It does. And I mean, it's not limited to agile though, right? This is just across the board kind of
1: yeah, bullying so, in the
0: workplace.
1: So the completely out of the box metaphor that I threw out there in our, our our kind of our prep notes for the show was I had a scenario recently at the infamous kindergarten open house where we had the, uh, you know, all the kids showed up, you know, my I have a kindergarten kid, which that's a whole other story about agile and kindergarten. But nonetheless I have a kindergarten child and then I also have a, a preschooler and the preschooler was on the playground and somebody else's kid came over and next thing you know, is kind of like, You know, beating up on the preschooler, and my wife and I are sitting there watching this, and we're like, "Well, what do we do?" You know, we're we're sitting there, kind of like, you know, I want to use the term "responsible team leads," you know, kind of observing and coaching our teams or our kids. And now we have this other kid, which is kind of outside of our scope. What do we do? Do we intervene and ask the kid to stop? You know, beating up on our preschooler, or do we, you know, and and effectively discipline someone else's child? or what are the options and so to me like our preschooler was being bullied and i took a step back and i said you know this happens on self-managing teams all the time you know something some new person shows up and says you know hey i don't agree that's wrong and you know they might be passive aggressive and what do you do what did you do i guess to close the kindergarten story out and get us back in the agile world you know we went over and we kind of told the kid that, well, you know, you really shouldn't, you know, beat up on our our younger child because obviously there was an age difference involved. And so he he was responsive to that coaching. And we did that in a constructive manner. So we didn't reprimand him. So we just asked him to not do that. And of course, then we observed, again, what happens on real life on a lot of teams where, you know, five minutes later, he's doing it again, you know, because he effectively and, you know, kids are are interesting because they like to get attention so he detected that he was getting attention by causing our, our preschooler to really you know have a fit because he was kind of you know beating up on her and so he liked that and he was motivated by that reaction. And again, we I've seen this on teams where you know someone has passion and they they say, oh yeah, I'm really gonna you know dig into my team members today and and you know get them motivated. But what they don't realize is that activity of trying to get them motivated may have detrimental aspects to other members of the team.
0: Hmm.
3: So I think this is a problem that's not obviously not unique to Agile and it's not even unique to work environments, as your story points out.
1: It's a people problem.
3: Right. So my first question is is there even an agile aspect or an answer from the agile community that, that doesn't fit, you know, non agile communities as well? And the only thing that makes me think that agile might have any difference is the fact that we attempt to be self-managing. I I agree. So I think the agile aspect that we can talk about is going to be about self-managing in that, in that instance. But I don't know that that's always the answer. Sometimes the answer, sometimes agile does not have the answer to a particular problem. And I think a lot of the case here is going to be the same. It's pretty much what you would do in any situation in, in job. you know, you try to solve it yourself. And if you can't, you take it up to management. Well, the it, interesting natural part is what about self-managing?
1: So what are the rules of the playground then, I guess? And, and if, if anything, if we use the playground as a metaphor, that is kind of a self-managing ecosystem, you know, where you, you've almost got, you know, the kids are out there playing and they're trying to, you know, figure out if they're being social, they're collaborating. And in some instances, maybe they're collaborating too much and beating each other up. And then you've got, again, like I'll take a step back, you know, like myself as a bystander in that self-managing environment, Craig, what should my role as a bystander be?
2: So I would say that uh, in that situation, after you talk to him the first time and he didn't stop, maybe you would go to the teacher, a teacher management, a principal, except for then I have to channel Jason Tyson, say, but what if the kindergartners don't trust the teacher?
1: because yeah, then but,
2: you have that issue. We got to start talking about trust problems. But,
1: real quick. but what's unique about this is, again, this to me is interesting because it's it's almost like a, you know, a work environment where you've got your self-managing teams that really are focused on the development of the software. But then sometimes the business isn't fully integrated with those teams. So it's like we've got, you know, I'm there as a parent at open house night. And then we've got, you know, other parents that are there too that aren't as involved in really what's going on and, effectively supporting the self-organizing effort at an appropriate level.
2: Well, and you're very much a manager as a parent there. You're not. And, and you have that same problem in the workspace. You have some managers that are really involved in some that aren't.
1: Okay. But so let's, let me ask you this, that in a self-managing work environment, aka the playground in our story here, whose responsibility is it to maintain the safety of the environment for all the people working in it?
0: Everyone. That's what self-managing means. So if you take it out of the kindergarten playground metaphor and move it into the real-life work environment, you would hope that if there's a bully, that the team will self-organize and self-control or act in a way to control someone who is a bully. What I think is difficult, just as it, as it is on that kindergarten playground, is to be the first one to challenge the bully and call their bluff and say, you know, back off. Your behavior is inappropriate for this situation.
1: Yeah, but what's unique about it? But what's unique about it, John, is that with kids, and I know eons ago we had Karen Favaza Spencer on, who wrote, who's the retired kindergarten teacher who's become an agile coach from the Boston area. You know, she talked about one of the great things about kids is they don't have a filter. So real life on the playground, you know, my my preschooler was like you know, screaming because she was being bullied by this other kid. In real life, a lot of times people on a self-managing team, they feel obligated, just like Amos, they feel obligated to have a filter, unlike Amos who doesn't. So try to pull Craig's comment in here. But that creates risk because sometimes people, they're afraid to raise concern, and they allow themselves to get into this non-safe working environment, which doesn't have a good outcome.
2: I have a filter. bullying. Well, <laughs> if I didn't have Amos a filter, I a would have gone up to that kid and said, Look, everybody, Johnny peed his pants. Now you got your attention.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Amos, let's try to take the step back here. Let's say if we're if we're if we're talking about my metaphor here, I intervened and then I do something to is that really productive? So like I'm leadership and I, you know, I represent management. So I come in and I don't know who this kid is. This kid's from some other team, and I do something to shame him. If anything, I harass him. I don't think I'm helping the scenario. No, you're not. You're being just like he is. Okay. Yeah,
0: that, that never helps. Right.
1: So real life scenario, like, okay, you're on a team. Try to get this back to, you know, something that's not quite kindergarten, or we're going to start a agile parenting podcast. And we'll do that next is you're on a team. You've got this person who really doesn't like working with you. Maybe you've had conflicts in the past. And yet, because of the nature of the organization, The organization has asked you to work together. So what do you do if you feel that somebody is, you know, being disrespectful for you to you?
0: Let's give a concrete example. Let's say that um the bully in this case is going in and Lee McCauley. Wow. (laughs) I'm telling. (laughs) I think he picked someone that was unlikely to be a bully.
1: So now Lee can and come on the good. next episode. He can go on a rant about violating the whole team approach by talking about people behind their backs.
0: <laughs> Amos, you need to go sit in the corner. You've been bad. Let's give an example. A person on the team thinks that their code's always better, their implementation of something is always better than someone else's, and so waits until code check-ins happen for the day and then hangs around and um, and takes you know what, what someone on the team has done and changes it to the implementation that they want it all along.
2: I think I worked with that jerk.
0: Right. So that's <laughs> okay. A, that could be a form of bullying, right? How, how do we as a team
2: uh, respond to that? I usually try to bring it up individually. Like, go pull them to the side, talk to them quietly, calmly, where nobody else can hear. I'm not calling them out. I'm not bullying them back. I'm just going to discuss it with them and say hey what's going on that i think is the first step always right. I, I
3: agree any conflict the first step unless there's some reason it's unfeasible is to talk to that person individually
1: okay yeah. but but or let's, walk away let, <laughs> but let's take a step back so so suppose i'm this person who i see that my code is constantly being refactored because someone doesn't like me on the team okay and and i see that and i feel that's that's threatening so you're asking me to stick my neck out and to go talk to this person, Amos. If I'm, you know, someone who's introverted, I'm not comfortable. That's going to be really hard for me to do, to mm-hmm. go have a one-on-one conversation with you since you're being aggressive. And
2: unfortunately, I have to say to you, sometimes you're going to have to do hard things in life. And it's not always going to be easy working with other people. Pineapple. So you're, sometimes you're going to have to step outside of your comfort zone. I think that's an excellent answer,
1: Amos. Okay. And, and that sucks. I don't like stepping out of my comfort zone either. So so real life, let's talk about what happens there. Because what I see happen a lot is, okay, I'm the guy, and again, not true to character, but I'm, Amos, I am very intimidated by you. So there is no way that I'm going to go and have this one-on-one discussion, which I personally agree could generate a positive outcome. So I'm just not going to do that. So instead... I'm going to go to someone else and I'm going to start to have a conversation about, you know, Amos, uh, I really don't get what he's doing. You know, I'm trying. I know I'm the new guy on the team and I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to pair. But every time I commit something, he refactors it and he doesn't even put it through code review. He just does it. And it's that very,
2: that very much depends on who you go to. If you go to somebody who has the authority to fix the issue then I think it's okay. If you go to some random other person and you're just complaining, that's gossip. And I think that you are just as liable for the situation as the other guy and you should be fired too. Well,
1: well so a couple of things, Amos. Let me ask you first then, if I'm the person who feels as though the term I'm going to use is the work environment is not safe, okay? So I'm a member of the team. You are creating, you are doing things that make me feel not safe in the work environment. Number one, who should I go to? Describe uh-huh. that person. Either some
2: management person who can go to them or some HR person, but you should not be going to Joe Schmo on another team just to complain. You need to go to someone who can fix the problem. Okay, that's very dependent on the situation.
1: Okay. The number two, what I want want to ask you
2: to speak to somebody to fix the problem, then you should speak with your feet and find a new job.
1: OK, well, the number two, let me ask you another question is what's this person who's again, not they don't feel safe so that they go to someone else. As you just suggested, what should that person do to intervene?
2: That well, that's going to depend on the that's going to depend uh, on they, what the problem they, is. They're in the same situation as you, too. Now, you've drugged them into it. Now, are they comfortable enough to go talk to that other guy? Maybe. Are they comfortable enough to talk to HR or management or are they just going to continue to spread the gossip around to where it's not? He treated you like a jerk, but he punched you in the face in the parking lot by the time it goes through 150 people.
0: I don't think this is necessarily gossip. I mean, it's certainly... It gets uh, there. It's certainly one person's side of the story, but it's somebody that's trying to go to enlist the help of another member of the team. If I'm uncomfortable doing it myself, I go and try and enlist someone to help me broach the subject, broach the topic.
2: That's uh, why I said go to somebody who can do something about it.
0: Everybody on the team can do something about it.
2: I would agree. For example, I said someone on another team.
0: hate to immediately take this to HR. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. We're going to have yeah. everybody in HR offices all across the country with... He changed my code (laughs) check-in.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I was going to say, Amos, I think there's a bunch of things where by immediately, and we've had this discussion before. We had it back in, oh, it was like in in the May 2014 type period. It was the the infamous discussion about having the private meeting, which I I think that, again, if the person is comfortable having a one-on-one conversation with the person who is creating a non-safe environment, I think that could be highly productive. I think there's a lot of people out there who aren't comfortable having that discussion but I think there's a lot of things the team could do almost to prevent this whole scenario from happening in the first place. So I ask a thing, a question I ask you guys is what was the last time you were on a team that did a safety check and actually did something to measure if all of the team members felt safe working in the team environment? I do that uh, regularly at retrospectives. So when you have that safety check, Do you do it within the constraints of the retrospective meeting or do you do it within the context of being a member of the team?
2: Uh, I think I've only asked about in the team area like once or twice, and it's whenever I noticed that there were issues.
1: Yeah, see, see what I would do is I would say the whole idea of a safety check, which, again, is typically it is a recommended activity in a retrospective to start the retrospective to ensure people feel safe continuing. I think there's an opportunity to apply that to. The team environment itself and really have people check in and really say, do we feel safe working together here? And to do that in, in an anonymous fashion, where if someone, if they do not feel safe, they can voice that. And that concern is known to the group. And then the group can decide what to do about it at working as a team.
0: I think it's still hard to have a safety check out in public, especially if, if safety has been breached you know, in an unsafe way. How, how are you gonna? How are you gonna bring up the topic of? Well, let's have a safety check, knowing full well, right, Jason? If I know full well that someone's safety has been violated, and now I bring up in in a team setting, eh, not saying anything has happened here, but I just want to do a safety check with everybody to make sure uh, we're all safe. And yeah, then but uh, who's gonna? But, if the person's uncomfortable, are they gonna go? Yeah, uh, problem. Amos shaking his beverage in front of the microphone is, is an unsafe behavior uh, I, I, I'm calling him out right here I was uncomfortable with it before but now since you wanted a safety check I'm going to speak up and say I feel unsafe
2: John I'm really sorry that that happened sometimes I forget that we're recording a podcast and not just hanging out around the table
3: so, so it sounds like the, the word Good we want to use here uh, and I don't know if we'll have to bleep this is, is pussyfooting around the
1: topic <laughs> <laughs> no
3: yeah okay please. I mean, well
1: well so so let me let me try let me try a little story here since i i happen to learn about craig's got a car that goes really fast and there's a story supposedly that maybe when he was test driving it he went out on the highway and he drove it really fast we can wonder if that's true or not but I wasn't on a highway okay but what i want to say is craig if you are the operator of a vehicle that goes really fast there's a certain uh, set of constraints or just things that. If the vehicle has a like a, call it a flat tire or it's out of alignment, you're not going to go drive it really fast. And you're going to have feedback before you put yourself into a non-safe environment that you're going to react to. And what I'd like to challenge teams out there to do is to, as a team, build a system that someone is capable of saying, you know, I don't feel safe in this environment and I want to raise the flag. There's a pattern out there, to a, a technique, it's called a stop work authority card. And I've seen teams use this where everyone has a little card that says stop. And as a team, since they're working together, they have a working agreement that says if anyone on the team at any point in time does not feel safe because of people issues or what they're doing, they can raise the stop work authority card. They actually will pull the card out and throw it up in the air. And that's their signal to say that, hey, as a member of the team, this is something we need to discuss and figure out so we can be effective as a group. Okay, as the tembent so- guy
2: who doesn't want to go
1: and bring up anything, are you going to go pull that card? So the issue is it's one thing for me, Amos, to go to you one-on-one and have a discussion about something that you are doing one-on-one. So I come into work the next day, and I'm like, what the heck, what did Amos do last night? And everybody's there at stand-up. And I pull that card out of my pocket and I show it to everyone, including you at the stand up meeting, and be like, guys, I don't feel safe. I don't feel respected. We need to do something about this. And I'm going to do this in the presence of everyone else. Because, yes, Amos, I may have a conflict with you, but I'm hoping that I have some support from the other members of the team.
3: All right. Two things. One, if you have a flat tire, you don't need a safety check. You've already identified the problem.
1: Okay. Low tire pressure. Two,
3: <laughs> two if you're uncomfortable with confronting that person directly, you're probably not going to want to confront them in front of a group either. So, I mean, either of those are probably okay, but actually it's more confrontational to do it in front of the group than to do it in in private with that person. So I would still recommend in any situation, go talk to that person first if you can. Now, if you're not comfortable with that, that's fine. Then, then step two is, is probably talk to somebody else. With some authority to to change that, whether that be a manager or someone else on your team, I, I mean, rem- remember, a self managing team means that everyone can exert leadership at any time. And and on the best teams I've had, we've pretty much grown everyone into a leadership position, and anyone was able to lead and to address a problem like that.
1: Well, and it's, and, it's specifically what I would say, Craig, is that like the idea of a stop work card. Is designed to facilitate that because a lot of times if someone is more soft spoken, you know they may not be comfortable. To, you know, to your point about saying, "Hey, we need to talk about this." But again, it's this act of having a card as a signal that, to your point, it enables them to step up and be a leader. And again, if you're a member of a self managing team, it's part of your job description to lead and guide the team when needed. If you don't feel safe, you need to do that. You can ask someone
2: else on the team to be a mediator without causing it to just be gossip. The problem I had with the example earlier where you were saying going to someone else is that to me, it sounded like I'm just going to someone else to complain about the issue. And if you're just complaining, you're gossiping, you're wasting time. You need to go to someone who can fix the issue if you can't do it yourself.
0: You know, one of the things that I think is the problem with playgrounds in general is that they're there are no ground rules that have been established other than like Lord of the Flies sort of <laughs> ground rules that get established and as pecking orders are established out on the playground. If we set up a team where we have some ground rules that we've established, where we've we've established the stop work authority card, where we've established that there are certain behaviors that we're not going to tolerate, and we all agree that we're not going to tolerate as a team, these are things that then empower us to self-organize in the future because now we've we've established that we want to have a self-organizing team we want to have a self-governing team and we are saying to everyone you have the power you have the authority you have furthermore the responsibility that when the team gets off the rails or individuals on the teams get off the rails in one way shape or form that it's your job, it's your responsibility to play the stop work authority card, to call that person on the carpet, you know, at the next stand-up. And everybody is on the same page because they were all there when we made those working agreements. And so safety has already sort of been pre-established, and then that allows us when an unsafe condition occurs to easily react to it within an acceptable set of boundaries.
1: Yeah, and John, what I want to draw attention to with what you just said is a key element of the story that got this all started is that there are certain efforts that need to come, that need to be executed to come together and form a team to maintain the safe environment. And what, what, we, what I'm describing here, this was kindergarten open house night where all the kindergartners showed up and then a bunch of other siblings showed up. And it was organized, maybe I should say disorganized chaos on the playground. And by that nature itself, since that environment hadn't been defined, it was a non-safe environment. So, if you have teams like that, don't do that at a really invested working agreement. So the environment can be safe. Go ahead, Amos. Well, I mean,
2: I mean, thank God that we are not Lord of the Flies, Land of the Playground. But like, one important thing I think is that make a rule that anyone on the team can call a retrospective at any time, and then they can do that anonymously. They come in before stand up. They print out on a piece of paper that says we need a retro and they hang it up and you go in the retro and everybody writes down on an honest piece of paper what they want to talk about. And you write on there, Amos is a jerk and rewrites everybody's code every night. And maybe you don't use jerk because you're a lot nicer than that. And you're really wanting forward progress instead of just being a jerk yourself, too.
1: Yeah, the other thing that I recommended that, Amos, maybe it's a different way to achieve the same outcome is to. Since you mentioned gets to work early and is you know able to do that, that might not be feasible for everyone. So throw a Pandora's box in your team area and let people submit to it anonymously whatever they need to. There, oh there are also
2: anonymous email clients out there that you can <laughs> just email the whole team anonymously.
3: Or uh, usually your your uh, facilitator for your retrospectives is hopefully someone not on your team, and you can email them and hopefully trust them enough to you know say hey I'm having a problem with this this and this and you know I'm I'm not comfortable bringing it up myself, but I'd appreciate it if you as the facilitator would bring it up. And that's worked well for us. We've actually had both for our, our facilitator on, on one team, uh, where you could email the facilitator, or you could hang up a note in the little area next to the Kanban
1: board. So let me ask this other question. This is kind of a pivot in the discussion, to say that, okay, we, we've gone through our retro, we've had our one-on-one conversation, we've thrown the stop work card, we've done something, to raise awareness for the problem. But nothing happens. That person, Amos, you still continue your persistent behavior pattern. Maybe because it's the way you naturally act. So what happens over time?
0: Okay, before Amos answers that question, let's give him some time to think about and formulate his response. And I'd like to tell you guys about our friends at Codeship. Codeship's back sponsoring our show. And guys, Codeship is... Continuous delivery made simple. CodeShip is so simple to use, you can get your project set up and building in as little as 3 minutes. I spent a bunch of time this weekend, over the Labor Day weekend, getting some of my tests refactored and and building even better than before, and I'm so pleased with the service. If you're not using CodeShip, you're spending more time on continuous delivery than necessary. And our good friends at CodeShip, they won't even ask you for a credit card when you set up your free account. Get out there, set up your account on Codeship. What are you waiting for? Maybe you're worried that you'll run into some problems getting started, but fear not, because our good friends at Codeship will help you out. You can email them, talk to them on Twitter, or you can check out their blog at blog.codeship.io. They've got a ton of great examples, excellent suggestions for getting your code up and running on Codeship. Few things in life are easy, but this is one of them. Let Codeship make continuous delivery simple for you. Go and visit Codeship.io slash This Agile Life and use the code This Agile Life when you sign up and you'll receive a 20% discount for three months on any paid plan. Thanks to Codeship for sponsoring This Agile Life. Flo and Manny,
1: I love you guys.
0: Yeah, they're great.
1: They will give you respectful feedback.
2: They will. They're good guys.
0: So what are you going to do about the situation, Amos? <clears throat>
2: Well, I'm so, still being a jerk, is what he told me. So,
0: how would, how would you respond in, in that particular situation? No, I,
2: in, the thing, the discussion we always, always get in is you know, trust or continued bad behavior. And how do you deal with continued bad behavior? You eliminate it, you fire the person, whatever you need to do, because it just keeps building poison on the team. I would like to be able to have another conversation with them, but conversations only go so far. And at some point, you have to cut the cord.
1: And this is where I think, Davis, to your point, this idea of what it really means to be a self-managing team is, I think, largely, the term I use is it's half understood. Because we're, we're really good at saying, okay, we're going to figure out, here's a group of people that we're going to figure out how to work together and be effective But a key element of that is ensuring you have the right people on the team for the team to be successful. And sometimes you have someone that doesn't align. And really for self-management to be effective, really, you need to talk about how teams are formed and then also how a team adjusts and maybe how a team disbands if somebody doesn't align.
2: I would love to deal with a company who the teams hire people to work on their team and they choose who to let go from their team, maybe through an anonymous vote if need be or something. But I think that that is a self-managing team because I've seen too many companies where someone from another team interviews somebody to go onto your team. And then you have to deal with the repercussions of this jerk that doesn't get along with anyone on your team and you can't let them go. So if you really want a real self-managing team, I think you you need to take it to that extreme. Yeah, and I so, think that would be amazing just to see what would happen.
1: Yeah. And, and to be fair, there are, I know the term that some uses the unicorn organizations out there like Spotify that do this and that Spotify has its whole guild system, which has been pretty well documented how it works. Um, and they, they do that to really almost to what you're describing. But let me ask you, Amos, well, let's set reality in here. What if you're not at that bleeding edge environment where you could do this? Is there an incremental step to get some benefit without going to true self-organization?
2: I don't know. I don't know what that incremental step is. After you've already had a discussion, where do you go from there? You go to management and you say, "Get this guy off our team. He's causing problems. Most of the team can't deal with it, and we've already discussed it with him on one, two, three occasions. How many times do you want to do it before you say this guy's got to go?"
0: What if we start by creating like a um, green light, yellow light, red light board? Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, like well, no, you, like in you're kindergarten. Laughing. They do that. Yeah, there's a it's class dojo. There's a product that does that for class dojo. Well, okay.
2: and and wait, wait. And the psychological studies that go along with things like class dojo say that they don't work and that it's bad.
1: Well, so put it this way. I saw class dojo what I saw in real life in kindergarten. I was like, okay, that's Dale pig carrot and stick, which is bad and doesn't work. But that's also we should, we should explain Class Dojo.
2: Class Dojo well, is when you're good, the teacher can give you a point. And then some schools have like drawings based on points or, or whatever different ways. Some some of them allow them to spend points. Some of them use them as tickets in a drawing. That's cool. what my kids did at the very end of the year. They gave away a bicycle. <laughs> okay, and not so the-, the most points. Every point counted as a ticket in a drawing. So the worst kid, the worst bicycle. kid could have won the so bicycle. Out of Every class, uh. a bicycle.
1: Okay, so that Amos has described classroom dojo applied in an interesting way that would give you carrot and stick motivation, which so is not I, good.
2: It has twenty points. My kid has thousand points. Guess which kid doesn't care about his behavior anymore.
1: Well, so. <laughs> So let me explain what they're doing. I guess in my kids' kindergarten class, with it, which I thought was interesting, and I, then I, I threw a rock. Well, I threw a wrench at it that my wife thinks is crazy, but it happened nonetheless. So the teacher, to your point, Amos, gives out the points. You know, where it's simply good point or bad point for the day. So if you're doing something that's good, you get a thumbs up, you turn green, and if you're doing something bad, you can take the point away and it makes a noise, and the kids hear this. The teacher had also set up where she leaves the dashboard up all day. And at that point, the kids can go up and they can give themselves points to really self-recognize that they're doing things right, that they're proud of. Okay. well, the dashboards up all day. So one day on the way to the bus stop with my five year old, I was like, well, why don't you go up and give points to other kids in the class that you think are good? So she went and did this. So effectively, it becomes a self-policing system where, you know, if Amos, you're acting like you're acting like a jerk and I don't like that. I can go over and I can give you, you know, the points down thing. That to me could be effective. That's kind of like giving someone the safety card. So maybe was- till till they go give themselves points.
0: I don't so, think you're allowed to give yourself points. So.
1: Well, I think that again. I think it's interesting that we're doing that in kindergarten. I don't know where that's going because I thought I think what's cool is hey if the console's up there, Amos. If you did something that really helped me out, I want to go do something to recognize for you
2: that. So I think that's great. Also, what I see maybe when you get like everybody placing like that, that's great. But what I've seen with when you have like a management authority figure, the teacher giving points out for good behavior is the kids that are normally in trouble all the time, get the most points because every time they do something nice, you give them a point to try to reward them. And the kids that are always good end up with no points because they never stood out in classes as needing it. So you have a tendency to give the kids that are often in trouble more points whenever they do do something good. So So if
3: carrot and stick doesn't work, what does work?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I see a huge potential to use something. And I've, I know we have teams. I work for teams that they track the happiness metric really at the person level. I think there's a way to use something even as simple as Class Dojo to, to make a dashboard for your team. And I think with some policies, again, OK, the team leader management can't give out points. You can't give a point to yourself. But if you want to recognize another team member that does something well, You have a system to do that. And by that nature, if you think there's someone who's causing the team pain or causing you pain, you could go take a point away from them to create a feedback loop. So something happens.
2: So what I found being effective is remove finger pointing. You're not allowed to talk about somebody else, but you empower words and allow change to happen through words. This works with children and it works with adults is you don't take complaints. You take. I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that not John did this to me. You don't accept that you accept. I need this. I need that. And then you respond to, I need not to all these other things. And it works fantastically for kids. It works fantastic on teams where I've seen it implemented that no finger pointing and talk about yourself and what you can change or what is bothering you and what you need to fix what's bothering you. And then you, you have lots of people on the team saying, hey, you keep changing everybody's code. Why are you doing that? And they they discuss, they ask why, because maybe there's a reason. And when you empower with that, that words are powerful and that real change can come from conversation, then a lot of these problems
1: melt away.
3: Mm-hmm. Asking questions also helps. Like, hey, why did this get changed? Like, and, and come at it like not an accusatory, but hey, am I doing something wrong? Or, you know, someone else doing something wrong here.
2: And when somebody comes to you with that, a lot of times it's also good to say, to, like, agree, like, show them, say, oh, yes, I understand how you're feeling. It's not an, uh, it's not saying that they're right or they're wrong. I understand how you're feeling. Here's a scenario in my life where I felt the same way. So that way you make a connection and then here's how we're going to fix it.
1: So, so, Abus, what I'm hearing is, you know, it really to. Go back to that initial discussion we had about having that one on one conversation with the person who's causing pain or creating the unsafe environment. Really, it's this opportunity to have a very clear conversation and apply some very simple kind of, I'll use the term discussion or self facilitation techniques like the five whys. So, Amos, I see that you changed my code last night. Tell me why. And then you answer. And then, okay, well, tell me why you did that. And you go through that five times. And if you're the person, who doesn't feel safe or feels bullied you're not having to come in with a lot of information and if anything by using this more open discussion technique you're going to learn more about what's going on
2: and you and may only- find out that you should have changed your code or Ooh. you may find out, or he may find out uh, I've been doing this to everybody lately and it's probably not good
0: you just blew my mind Oh, <laughs> my code did suck Shh.
1: or or the other one that's a great questioning technique from really clear questioning is just to ask a question and then after it's answered ask the same question again
2: ask it differently
1: well actually some of the research has showed it's better to ask it the same way yeah it's interesting because sometimes you'll hear but us what i you'll hear if, if there's a real problem there you should hear the same thing twice if you don't hear the same thing twice, we should try this on the podcast. Actually, oh. then it probably shows that that person is full of themselves and making a mountain out of a molehill, and truly they are being a jerk.
2: I do this with my children. By the way,
3: you can you well, can be a jerk by reasking the question, uh, especially <laughs> if a especially if a woman asks the question and and everyone ignores her, and then a man asks the question, and then all of a sudden it's a valid question. <laughs>
1: my uh, well this, okay this is a real thing that no. happens so don't okay, don't be whoa. that kind of jerk all right well, well yeah but let let's talk about that one so well, we should
2: have a separate podcast for sexism in programming instead of this one That's,
3: yeah i i think we should probably invite someone to talk about that since we're probably not very expert at that
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay so and if you're coming attraction since obviously we are talking about the jerk topic which was previewed on the last episode of this agile life coming soon to a future episode will be this fun discussion
0: <laughs> um, sexism in the workplace and on so, agile teams i
2: well, forgot what i'm saying now i got sidetracked by craig's sexism comment
1: but again real life a lot of times if you think about what the legal protocol is if you have a hostile work environment This is where, Amos, we can have a reality check because there is this thing called laws that govern how we operate a business in many countries, including the United States. So law dictates certain policies, which, again, go right to things that we kind of said we want to try to avoid before. You know, we want to promote individual conversation between the two people who have the conflict, which, again, is good. But understand specifically for incidents where there is a hostile work environment. You should not do that. And you should do whatever the law and whatever company policies are in place for how to report those incidents. And I think that's a good thing to point out because, again, if you have a hostile work environment, which would, could be defined as a gender issue, then that should go through whatever that policy is. And you should take this self management we have with a grain of salt. Uh, I, well, I even, still, I still even think that, try to talk
2: because right. uh, uh, I have been on the receiving end of. Hostile work environment issues, and going in and telling the person, "Hey, look, you're making me uncomfortable, and you need to stop." And it ended. So,
3: yeah, my advice is always, if possible, go to the person offending, then go to the next level of management up, then then next up, and then HR. You know, if if there's no management to go to, if you don't get any progress quickly. You need to escalate quickly, too. Right? Bar,
2: barring, like, I'm going to kill you in the parking lot comments, you know, I mean, there are certain, like, comments that people are making it, I'm not talking to you one-on-one individually,
1: right? Right. Yeah, because that's not safe.
2: Right, exactly. So, barring safety, you should always try to go talk to them.
1: But I guess just to be fair, the law does provide certain protections that if an organization does not provide those protections to staff members who feel they are a victim of a harassment incident or a hostile work environment or a quid pro quo, then the organization can be found guilty of neglect. So what there needs to be, and to your point, is there needs to be the discussion at the team level with that. But if someone goes to HR to raise a hostile work environment complaint, and they say, go talk to the team first, then that, again, if that if that's a true complaint, any good attorney out there is going to say, hey, you you could raise suit against the organization for not protecting your rights. So,
2: so I may not know enough about all of this, but I think unless there's some law against it, the HR department should try to be a mediator before going to, okay, this person's fired. Unless, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, again, life threats or sexual threats, you know, hey, like hey, anything that real- is...
3: We weren't saying HR should, like, reject your request and because you should always go talk to the person first. We're saying well, I, talk to the person first if that's possible and then go to yeah. HR. Well, and or, if or you've gotten to HR, they shouldn't take you back down the ladder.
1: Well, that's, yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. And or guess what? If somebody doesn't, again, for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable, they don't feel safe talking to the person first, and they elect to go to HR, or to go to the um, the ombuds system then that system needs to execute in accordance with policy and regulation And at that point. So you're
3: arguing against people that aren't arguing the other side of the point here.
1: Well, I'm just saying to be clear with basically what we're talking about here is that we want to ensure that in certain circumstances, as we're talking about for harassment, be it sexual or quid pro quo, there are laws. And then again, they vary by locality. So if you are listening to us all over the country, it it makes sense. World, it makes sense to know what the laws are in your locality, and then understand how your organization has embraced those, and really know how if you have self managing teams, what the organization's preferences are, or how if there is a hostile work environment or uh, you know a, a harassment incident that occurs within a self managing team, how should that scenario be adjudicated within the confines of the organization?
0: No, no differently than any other team, I would think. And we are not That's lawyers, and we are They're not. not- Not offering legal advice.
3: Once you've taken it out of your team, it's out of the team. I don't understand how that would even have any effect, how your team works.
1: Well, I think the big confusion about this, to kind of go full circle, is really when something, you know, it's that first question I asked Amos when I I challenged that someone may not be comfortable talking directly to another member of their team or even to the team as a group, and they choose to involve someone from outside the team. So when do you do that and when do you not do that?
3: Well, what, what do you mean outside the team? Do you mean Man. management or HR or some other person? I,
2: I think that's a judgment call, and we're not going to come to a definitive thing. It's a very gray area.
3: Right. If you're not comfortable with talking to that person or resolving you on your team, then take it to the next level. It's It's not a very difficult rule to figure out.
2: The thing that is crappy is many HR departments, unfortunately, err on the side of we don't Want to get sued, so we'll just fire this person. You know, seen it happen.
1: Yeah, but if they fire you, you actually have more recourse if you've done things right.
2: Do you have evidence that you
1: did things right? But (laughs) but a lot
2: of people aren't going to fight that. They're just like, "Oh crap, I got fired by HR. I probably messed up really bad."
1: Yeah, you know, the one thing we've kind of done, and I'm going to push back on this whole discussion, is just listening to some of the overtones we've talked about. (laughs) is we've been saying we escalate it, you know, and my I actually would encourage us to maybe to support the idea of having a self-organizing teams, having people work together. It's really not escalating it to a higher authority. It's really acknowledging that the people on the team itself have realized that they are unable to come to a consensus about what to do. And so they need to get help from outside the team.
3: Sometimes that happens, but that should be pretty rare.
1: Well, I guess I and
3: usually aware, you escalate outside the team because of a seriousness of it, not because you can't come to and, some. And, and I would say that
2: the first place you escalate outside the team, and this is because I also believe this person should be outside the team, is to your retrospective facilitator. But that's un- unless, again, we're at the extreme circumstances, which I don't think on this podcast we're really ready to, to touch extremes. Like We're really talking about normal, like day-to-day, not the, oh crap, someone is looking up the neighbor's dress.
1: Yeah, but again, real life, if you're running a business, I would hope that you have a harassment policy that has some pretty specific procedures about what to do if you are an employee of an organization and you experience a scenario like that.
3: So what does that have to do with agile, by
1: the way? Because I think that's where I would say that those procedures, which have been probably been flushed out with you know counsel and such, probably have more merit than this self-management approach. And or that's, right, worth, right, that's right. a good discussion. So, and or I know I've, I've seen people really say that there's been topics that have come up in a retrospective in the team and people on the team were aware of these policies. And at that point, that topic from that discussion was delegated and effectively shifted over to HR or resolution within that process.
3: Right. I'm saying that these are basic HR business things that really don't have much to do with Agile. Well, Well, once you've taken it outside of your team, you're not really dealing with Agile anymore. You're just dealing with corporate issues.
1: Yeah, but to be fair, fair, and I think, Craig, the one thing that I have seen some organizations struggle with is people say, yeah, we're self-managing, we're Agile. We don't need to worry about HR, or we don't even you know, need to have an HR, you know, an HR training every year to to remind people what a hostile work environment is. We can self-manage everything and have retrospectives. And well, again, that's all fine and dandy until something happens and you have a lawsuit. So if you are in a self-managing environment, I would encourage you to make sure that as a member of a team, your team understands what HR has for these what I'm gonna call these these harassment or these harassing scenarios and what HR provides and requests that they flushed out with however they're running the business. And then everything else goes into really the team. And and everyone understands where that boundary is.
3: So it sounds like you're describing a self-managing company when that's not really a thing that most agile techniques talk about. They talk about self managing teams. So yeah, well, if you're a self managing company, yeah, you need to worry about those things. But if you're a self managing team you probably work for a company that already has all those things in place.
1: Yeah, well, but but again, that's for, again, real life. You know, over the past few weeks, I've worked with a few teams that, again, they've been in sticky situations because they, they didn't know what the policies were. And so that's to me, I, I think to your point, Craig, that's if you're a member of an organization or you're a leader of an organization, you need to ensure those policies are defined and well understood and they're understandable by the people that work there. So they're not documented in legalese unless you went to law school, you won't understand. So you need to do that. And then you need to make sure people understand how those policies are there to help people and keep people in the work environment safe. And then ensure that people understand that that's the foundation. And then upon that, they can implement self-management at the team level.
2: So to wrap up, If it's a serious thing that you were unable to handle yourself, you should approach your HR at your company and know the things that your company says, no matter what you need to approach HR if this happens. And other than that, try to talk it out amongst your team through retrospectives in anonymous ways if you must. But if you can, always go directly to the person that is an issue for you and try to understand why they took the actions they did instead of just accusing of there being a problem.
0: I think that's good advice. And once again, we are not lawyers. We do not pretend to be lawyers. We are not offering you legal counsel just to cover our butts. But if something has, has occurred that is serious, you should escalate that up through your management chain.
2: I did play a lawyer in a play in fifth grade. That doesn't count. Oh,
0: but it's (laughs) a nice try.
2: (sighs) Well, I was going to do brain surgery later on tonight, but I guess I'll skip it since uh, you must have, I only played a, a doctor in a play once. You must have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express.
0: <laughs> All right, guys, let's do our picks.
1: This week's hottest
0: picks. And tonight we're going to start with Craig. Craig, what's your pick?
3: All right, uh, my pick is uh, noise canceling headphones. Specifically, I bought a pair of uh, Parrot Zik headphones. Uh, these are pretty much the uh, Maybe most expensive or definitely most featureful noise-canceling headphones. They're also Bluetooth. You can plug them in and not use the Bluetooth, which I'm using today for the first time on a podcast. Uh, the noise-canceling is great for being on a plane or cutting the grass, so I've really enjoyed being able to cut the grass, listen to a podcast.
0: Wow. I mean, it really cuts down, like, lawnmower noise. Yeah, oh. I, don't even, I don't
3: even have to have it all cranked all the way up, and I can hear what people are saying.
2: I was at Craig's house the other day and tried those things on, and it was pretty amazing. He's like, hit the button, and I hit the button, and it like the room went silent. But when Craig talked, it made noise. I was like, I didn't realize how much noise was in this room until I put these on.
0: Very cool. Of course, you wouldn't probably want to use those on an agile team. You know, you, you'd miss out on all the rich
3: conversation well, going oh no, on. You can in still your-
2: hear people talk.
3: Yeah, you can kind of hear people talk. Also, if you work from home
0: and do remote pairing, they're they're good for that. Very good. All right, Amos, what are your picks tonight?
2: I actually uh, am going against my better judgment and having three picks instead of my normal one to two. But one of them is, is kind of crazy. In Curses, if anybody knows what that is, it's a graphics library for the console. I picked In Curses. It's available in a lot of languages. And I picked it because... Retro's cool, right? That's at least what I, I hear. And it's really neat to try to take an application and give it a uh, what I will call a big boy GUI, which is like a, a really nice, maybe even 3D GUI, and then try to hook in an incurse's GUI to it, too. Um, just for fun, like a small app, like if you want to build Tetris is what I've been playing with lately. And to see if you can really decouple your layers enough that you can just switch the view out like that. My second pick is learn Haskell for great good or uh, learn you Haskell for great good. It's a really interesting book. Uh, I've been reading it. I've played with Haskell on and off for a while. And I have a problem with functional languages where I feel that all the examples are like here, here's how you sort a list of numbers, but I can't ever find anything that has good examples of everything makes a functional language look like a toy. And I think that uh, this book does a really good job of, moving beyond that a little bit and then uh, also in the same vein is land of lisp which is a a really great book if you want to learn lisp and you get to do so by creating some little uh
1: games to play
0: all right good picks amos jason what are your picks tonight
1: okay so inspired by our lively discussion this evening i have a challenge for everyone out there in this agile Life Land. i want to challenge you including my three co-hosts tonight to go read The No Asshole Rule by Rob Sutton. This is a book that talks about, effectively, what the title says um, in the workplace, and it talks about ways to have a civilized workplace. I guarantee you that if you have been on a self-managing team and or just worked in any environment out there that's not a kindergarten classroom, you probably have experienced things that are discussed in this book. So you will find it interesting. You may even find things, you might even find it describing things that you have done. And so it's a little bit of a reality check. So I would highly recommend it. Um, It's a pretty interesting read. I know a couple organizations have actually done a book club about it to kind of confront the discussion about respect in the workplace. So you do, a people read the book, you do a book club in your office, and you'll have some very thought-provoking discussions. So highly recommended book, The No Asshole Rule. The other one I'll plug, second pick for tonight is um, later in September 2014, actually on Friday, September 26th, I've been invited to do a Lunch and Learn in St. Louis. Uh, it's in the St. Louis metro area, and it's a it's a visual workshop about the perfect user story. So we're going to take many of the things that we've discussed on This Agile Life about user stories, and we're going to render them into a picture that we will draw live at a lunch session. So we'll have a link to the Evite invitation in the show notes. So if you are hear this in September of 2014 and you're in St. Louis... Join us for lunch on Friday, September 26th, 2014. You show RSVP. up, Amos?
2: I've RSVP'd. I'm going to try to come heckle.
1: Oh, come heckle. It will be fun, Amos. So <laughs> please bring your paper so you can draw with me. Participation right. is encouraged. I, I love to participate. Oh, good. Those are my two picks.
0: Very good. Thanks. Okay, my picks tonight, we've got a couple. First one is Text Expander. I use Text Expander on the Mac from Smile Software. I like it because, well, I use it for a couple of things. And and Craig, you're probably not going to like this because at one point you shared out your all of your Git aliases and whatnot, which which I used. But then I realized that those don't follow me around very well, and um, my Text Expander stuff kind of follows me around a, a little bit better when I go from uh, my Mac at home to my mac at work and and i can use it for other things so i also use it for stuff like some pre-formatted email responses that i use and uh filling in some forms and some other things so there's text expander for the mac from smile software and then if you're not a mac person there's also something called phrase express which is a text expander like utility for windows so you can check that pick out in the show notes also, uh, I had a presentation accepted for Agile DC, which is going to be held, I think, on <laughs> o- Ooh, <laughs> I think that was applause or uh, it, was, it was attempting
2: to be applause. Very,
0: very, very interesting uh, sort of applause from Amos there. So my presentation is on coaching affinity estimation. I'll be giving it at the one day Agile DC conference, October 21st in the dc area so if you're in that area or planning to be there say hi check it out stop by i'll have some this agile life stickers to hand out are we going to record at this conference i'm not planning on doing any any live recording of an episode at agile dc it's a real pain for me to haul around all the uh recording equipment
2: well you can invite me i'll haul it for you
0: that sounds great all right, guys, well, that's all we have time for today. Check out life.com for these show notes and for all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living This Agile Life.
1: This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.